Many times we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and this is my last live show of the year, which is a big deal. And I um, wanted to bring a guest on for my last show of the year that I really wanted to talk to, a woman who has done the work, who is a very strong guide in the wellness world, in the psychological world, in the Jungian field. And I knew that we could talk at a level that would sort of seal the year with some ideas around um, what we can universally say we've learned in 2017 and individually, and then to think about the new year, the new year being 2018, which I think is going to have a whole lot of feminine power, a whole lot of feminine understanding. And my guest today, Anne Davin, is also someone who is versed deeply in feminism and the understanding of the divine feminine so let me introduce my guest. Her name is Anne Davin. She is a licensed psychotherapist and an executive leadership coach who specializes in the treatment of women and women's issues. Anne is a thought leader who helps people turn the knowledge that they already have into the embodied wisdom that is waiting for them. And that sentence alone, Anne, meant that I had to get you on my show because mm-hmm. the show is devoted to embodiment from a spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional level. So welcome to the show, Anne Davin. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and in this particular conversation with you because what a year it's been, right? Yeah, I couldn't wait to hear your thoughts about 2017. And I've followed your work for a long time, and I felt that you would be a really interesting um, thought leader to speak on behalf of the Divine Feminine, the Me Too campaign, the way that this year has really put the female in the spotlight, even though Hillary Clinton didn't win. (laughs) Well, you know, winning is a relative term, right? (laughs) There's the kind of winning that we can appreciate when a person has won a gold medal and is standing on the top rung of the tier, or a woman who has braved the election road towards becoming the president of the United States and was not there to be inaugurated symbolically, but the march that happened was the response to her election. And there's a, there's a new sort of inauguration that's, uh, that's underway, and we are all participating in that. So in a way, no, she's not in the office, but the culture is forever transformed. In a, and even though it's chaotic and painful and overwhelming, there is necessary change happening as the people, places, and things that used to populate all the houses of power in this country and beyond are being challenged and confronted 
and sometimes and often attacked into consciousness. So it's a messy process. And I think we have a lot to thank in Hillary for uh, uh, being brave enough to be out there and to be the face of a movement that's going to live well beyond the legacy of her campaign. Well, it's interesting because if you think about 2017, starting with the Women's March and ending with the Me Too campaign. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a quote by Hildegard that I has been sort of running inside my uh, imagination this whole year, you know, which is, she said, we cannot live in a world that is not our own, in a world that is interpreted for us by others. An interpreted world is not a home. Part of the terror is to take back our own listening, to use our own voice, and to see our own light. And in this year has been a profound reckoning of the naming and claiming of the experiences of women, okay? Whether that's equal pay, whether that is uh, 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 confronting the violence against women and rape culture, okay? Whether that is talking about the percentage of women uh, who are occupying leadership roles in government and beyond, Okay, all the way down to adequate health care. Um, because the personal is political for women, and therefore it's very much been in public dialogue and debate as we have been reconciling how those voices have been marginalized, you know, across all marginalized populations of people, whether it's a person of color, the elderly, uh, a person who doesn't identify as heterosexual, okay, all the isms, right, all the ways in which we have segregated, isolated, and oppressed people uh, is now uh, uh, very much a part of how, what it means to move the world forward, okay, to be a more inclusive society where the suffering of one equates the suffering of all and where we begin to account for what it means to be fully human by serving the suffering of our friend, our neighbor, but most especially to the stranger, the person who has been othered, okay, who is outside of the familiar to us, but is very much a part of the collective village, okay, what it means to be a citizen of this country and a participating member of humanity worldwide now, because we can no longer be separate in the ways that we used to. It's just not going to work. You know, we're, we're at too many danger points, whether it's the environment, the health and well-being of the animals, our own health and well-being in terms of toxic levels of pollution, okay, the food we're eating, you know, all of those things about how we actually inhabit who we are uh, in ourselves and in the world are, are, are reconciling themselves. And it's scary and it's painful. You know, in the Me Too campaign in particular, is, is an essential move to, uh, to redistribute okay, uh, power between uh, genders, right, in terms of how we have understood ourselves as gendered beings and to not mistake or somehow minimize or uh, dilute the fact that uh, who we are as erotic beings, right, how patriarchy has kidnapped and, and held 
uh, held um, sort of outside of our reach and understanding how sexuality has been used as a way to oppress. So it's a, it's a powerful time. You know, yeah. and I'm sure that uh, you've had many conversations for yourself uh, on this show and like many of us with our friends and family members and certainly to the clients and the people we're serving. But uh, this is just the beginning, in my opinion. My sense yeah. is, is that you probably agree with that. I totally agree with that. And I also am very aware of the fact that 2017 is a one year in numerology. So we're really only starting this powerful, powerful embodied leadership that is understood at a very different level and is being asked for as an ultimate necessity to happiness and feeling like there is a purpose and a reason to be alive. (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. Very much So, so. Um, I want to ask you to tell the listener a little bit about one of the things that you're doing is working in a somatic principle with individuals. And I'd love for you to explain that to the listener, what somatic means. Because to me, when I hear that word, I automatically think of wholeness, which is also part of what you were just saying. So help us know those that don't know what that word means in the work that you do. Well, there's a couple of ways to respond to that. So the first is, in the field of psychology, uh, there's been more and more attention paid to how the body itself is relevant to personal development and deep change. Basically, uh, in the Western psychology field, there were three basic schools of psychology but they all paid more or less attention to other aspects of our being, right? Like the, like the first school of psychology is behaviorism, where that focuses on accessing the human condition through the thinking mind, right? And we think of the work of like uh, Albert Ellis, you know, the grandfather of cognitive behavioral therapy. And then there's the school of thought called psychoanalysis, which focuses on accessing the human condition through the unconscious Uh, And this, of course, is based on the work of Sigmund Freud, where we're looking at the forces and drives and how past events shape us and to understand the unconscious impulses. Okay, then the next school of thought is basically existential, okay, which focuses on accessing the human condition through the human heart and the lived experience. And in this uh, genre of of psychology, we think of people like Carl Rogers. We think about uh, the human potential movement um, with Gene Houston. Okay. Um, And now what we see is there's this uh, sort of fourth emerging field. The most recent emerging field includes uh, focusing on the human condition through the spirit, okay, through non-ordinary states of reality. Okay, but it also, what's getting sort of uh, put into this bucket, which I think is going to become its own field of psychology in terms of how people recognize and sort these things out within the industry, is what's called energy psychology. Okay, and in energy psychology, we're looking at um, basically how humans express themselves through the somatics of their body. The assumption here is that we are not only 
in three-dimensional time and space, but we are also, we have other ways in which we express ourselves as souls embodied in human form, the human energy system. And the viewpoint is, is that we are all made up of vibrating frequencies of light, stardust and matter, right down to our DNA. And that energy is a part of what makes up who we are as beings inhabiting a human body and walking around this world. This viewpoint is considered the animate viewpoint. Earth-based mother cultures have long held that we are participating in a co-creative relationship with universal energies. And we feel that in our senses, through our sight, uh, sound, smell, touch. We have experiences in our body that literally make us sweat or make us have goosebumps or give us, you know, chills, okay, make the hair stand on the top of our skin. All of that energy matrix in the body has been recognized and described and quantified through all of the wisdom, the ancient wisdom traditions on this planet, whether it's Chinese medicine or or Ayurveda. All of those traditions now um, are coming together and coalescing in our understanding here in the West. And part of what we're calling that is the, the somatic psychology, energy psychology, in which we Come, we go towards the human experience, not only through the thinking mind and your viewpoints of the world, but also we consider valid now and relevant as part of the human condition, the feeling, sensing self, your intuitive nature, that ephemeral essence that we call soul, that we can't ever put our hands around, but we're always chasing in terms of the kinds of experiences we want to have, you know, in awe and wonder and magic and the beauty of a sunset that breaks us open. Now, this form of psychology is looking to that as a way to resource and to uh, improve upon the ways that we have dealt with human suffering in the past. So, in my work with people, I work from that holistic perspective. I am interested in the thinking mind, and I, and I pull tools from cognitive behavioral therapy because what we think activates inside of us a hormonal response. It floods the body with emotions. If I think about a lemon right now, my mouth will begin to water. We can't separate those things. But I also think about, the, so I also think about the physical body, right? The, the somatics, but also all the functioning systems. Because if I'm in a constant state of stress, telling myself that the world is going to end in catastrophizing, I'm going to put stress in my body, which is going to increase my cortisol. Okay, so that's a physical property that we can measure. So I'm also taking that into consideration when I'm working with people. Is how, what are they telling themselves? How stressed are they? How is that impacting not only the energetics, their feeling self, but also the physical body, their physical health? But then I'm also considering the spirit. Okay, what is this person's relationship to their sense of having 
uh, having some connection to that invisible force behind this visible life. What do they call it? Do they call it God? Do they call it goddess? Do they call it something de- something else? But essentially, what is this person's spiritual practice? Is it surfing? Is it meditation? Is it the Catholic Church? Where did they go to tune in and turn on to that great mystery that dwells within them, that is them? Okay, and then finally, I'm looking at the emotional body in terms of uh, uh, emotional uh, competency. What kinds of communication skills does this person have? What sorts of skills do they have to deal with the very real surprises or ruptures that that come in a life that's well lived? You know, what are their coping strategies? You know, how can we improve upon those things? So. For a person like me, I tend to be integral in the sense that my eye is on the larger systemic wholeness of a person that includes all of those bodies. And the somatics often times will be where we have our symptoms first. Okay, it's when we have a headache that won't go away, or we don't have any energy, okay, or we lose interest in the things that used to bring us joy, or we feel over anxious, like our heart's going to jump out of our chest, right? All of those symptoms, symptoms then become sort of the waving flags. It's like, look over here, okay, ask a deeper question. If your body is speaking your mind, what is the message? That becomes then the portal to deeper discovery and healing. So yeah. that was a that was a long winded answer, but that's sort Thank of. Thank you. Oh no, it's awesome! Mm-hmm. I loved it because it explained how you use the word wholeness. That is wholeness, all of that combined. Mm-hmm. And so, with each individual, I'm assuming that that each part of that ex- every way that you explain that has to be known by the human being and the individual to get the relief that they need, even though the problem may manifest as anxiety. Right. So let's talk about anxiety. It's at an all-time high. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really aware of the fact that part of my own progressive thinking is to realize that it's not going to slow down collectively. You know, I mean, I have these fantasies that we're going back to guitar circles and singing, which I make sure we do in my own world, but collectively we're not going to go anywhere near a slower reality. So our reality is getting faster and faster and faster. And the Z generation is now those that will never know the world before their screen became part of their DNA. So let's just say that anxiety is at an all-time high, and it's probably going to get higher. So we know that anxiety is directed by fear, and there's a lot to fear if you're listening to news or trying to, you know, just follow five minutes of any sort of reporting is manipulative fear-based thinking. So let's just say that you get a client who is facing this sort of anxiety. In your training and in your guidance, what would be something that a listener, just hearing this, who battles anxiety, could do to start down that sort of somatic healing and path to get the help they need to be more integrated. Right. So at the root of every fear is a crisis of faith, okay, which is really a crisis of imagination. So what that means is that 
when you're caught in an anxiety loop, okay, the cognitive behaviorist would say, ask yourself, what is the message that I'm giving myself right now? My heart is thumping. I'm having trouble breathing. My life looks okay on the outside. The kids are at soccer practice. I've got groceries in the kitchen. My partner will be home around 4.30. I feel the routine, but yet I feel like I'm afraid. So ask myself, what am I saying to myself right now? I'm saying to myself that all of this is going to collapse and I'm going to lose everything. Okay, well, okay, is that true or not true? Okay, what's true about that and what's not true? Okay, you have to, number one, start with the message that you're giving yourself that's driving the experience of the body. Okay, and then you have to ask yourself if the message you're giving yourself is true or not true. Okay, there's going to be aspects of both. But when we get stuck in black and white thinking, the world is going to end, and that's all we can see, we miss the opportunity of the gray, which is what's true and not true about that. Well, right now, uh, what's true about that is that there was just another terrorist attack in New York City, and my heart is pounding. I feel like uh, I'm in danger. I feel like the world could end. That's true. Okay, what's not true about that? Well, the attack isn't right here. Okay, the attack is over. And that I have this beautiful home, I have my partnership, I have these beautiful kids that are thriving, okay, and and my nervous system, I can feel my heart going down, okay, I can feel my breath coming back into my body, okay, and going back and forth, what's true and not true, and evaluating, okay, breaking apart the rigidity in the fear-based thought, okay, that's one restorative technique, okay, the second is, If you have a meditation practice, this suggestion is going to be easier for you, okay, which is to close your eyes, take a deep breath into your body, bring your awareness to the top of your head, and begin to scan down your body slowly using your breath to release any tension or stress wherever it is that you find it living in your body whether it's an overactive mind or muscles that are tight in your neck, releasing and relaxing as you move down your body with your awareness all the way down to your feet, taking another deep breath in and feeling the increased spaciousness inside of you, then very consciously you're going to open your eyes and soften your gaze and see beauty. No matter where you are, allowing your eyes to rest on either the leaf that's hanging off of the tree in front of you, the color of your jacket that's next to the door in your office, maybe even looking upon your own body and seeing the curve of your wrist Wherever it is that you are allowing your eyes to land, you soften your gaze and you see beauty. When you allow yourself to invoke the beauty that is you, as you, and to feel that resonance in your body, you immediately become what the quantum physicists call correlated. 
connected to, and a part of the current that connects. It restores the injury of the forgetting, the fear-based, faithless belief okay, that you're about to be hurt, and it restores you to a sense of greater protection, being held by and participating in a quantum universe where now you have something other than yourself to lean into. Okay, this is what we call our faith. Okay, where you are now part of something much larger than the set of circumstances that you find yourself in. Okay, so these are two examples of techniques to very quickly uh, uh, reactivate inside of your body the felt experience of safety. I have to tell you, I just was doing that as you were guiding it, and I just feel yummy right now. Mm-hmm. It worked. I mean, it's interesting how, and I am a meditator. Um, in fact, I was asked in an interview, what is the most valuable tool that I brought to my life? And that was the first thing that came up for me was my meditation practice. So I dropped into your voice and guidance and immediately got the results. And so the listeners have a lot to review in what you just said for that instantaneous relief when there is anxiety coming through your body, understanding that pathway with the thoughts and then using Anne's guidance to just name what is true and what is not true. That's a wonderful exercise. I love that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I want to know in your life, as someone so um, embodied, take us through what is something you've added into your life. The same question I was asked. I'd love to know what are your routines? What sort of thing do you feel devoted to on a daily basis? Um, tell us a little bit about how you keep yourself embodied. Well, par- probably the, the biggest way that I keep myself embodied is by being in nature. I mean, it's really that simple for me. And it's that easy then to disconnect because it's easy for me to not make the time like everyone else who is caught up in a culture that's moving at light speed. You know, we're all, we're all suffering from what Larry Dossey calls hurry sickness, right? Where we become overstimulated uh, to the degree that we disconnect from the somatics in our body. We become disembodied, right? We just become energy on this, this uh, grid of doing, right? So for me, I am just as vulnerable to that. And I love what I do, which makes me even more vulnerable because I could very easily sit right here at this computer for hours on end and not move my body and have all my brain power, my creative force going into the computer screen, doing sessions, talking to people, writing stuff, you know, my offering, my act of power in the world. I love it. And so I'm very vulnerable to uh, blowing my adrenals out right, to uh, uh, suffering the kinds of pains in my body that we get now in the Western world from sitting too long. I mean, who was it that said sitting is new, the new smoking? I mean, I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. I feel it, right? Yeah. So for me, the challenge is, you know, my temple is nature. And so I have very wisely throughout my adult life lived in areas where I have access to nature within steps of my house. And it means moving my body, 
Okay, because I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and I spent more time outside than I did inside. I grew up in wheat fields, you know, driving wheat combines and pea combines at night and watching the sun come up and the sun go down and, you know, chasing after two older brothers. If I didn't keep up, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that wouldn't have been good, you know, and, and on my skis. Okay, so I've always been very, very active. Okay, but beyond that, there's something else that happens for me when I'm in nature, whether it's to be running the trails up here on Mount Tamalpais or skiing down in central Oregon or just walking next to the Deschutes River, is that there's an activation point inside of me where I become nature, okay, where I t- tune in and tap into my own inner nature through the experience of being immersed in outer nature. So my... The, the most powerful thing I can do to maintain my mental health is to ensure that I get out in front of gigantic acts of natural beauty. And that means racing to the top of the ridge to get to sunset on time, right? It means uh, putting myself out uh, into the green grass when it's growing in the spring and literally laying on the earth. Okay? These things don't cost any money, okay? and they're completely accessible. And they are the first thing that drops off of my to-do list, okay? And they're the most essential thing to my beingness. So like everyone else, you know, this is my challenge area. And I also, you know, will uh, elicit the support of someone to do those things with me, which makes it even better, right? Because then I have an accountability partner, even though they don't know they're serving that role, (laughs) Okay, if I have somebody to get on my bike with, right, or somebody to take that walk with, somebody to meet me at sunset, or, you know, the support of my partner who will walk in here, you know, after six hours and say, hey, I think it's time that you move. Hey, you've been in that same spot for six hours. I'm like, oh, really? It's been six hours? So that's the number one thing for me. Now, there are other things that I do uh, that that I think are important, but that's got to be the most important because from that, the rest of my self-care flows which is that, you know, I eat raw paleo organic, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a, a person in midlife, and I pay attention to my biochemistry. You know, I have my blood panel done by a functional medicine doctor every six months to see where my hormones are. You know, I take the supplements necessary to maintain my physical health. And I actively work on my emotional development, Okay, I'm actively engaged in my own personal growth processes all the time. I don't ever do anything with a client I haven't done myself in terms of a modality, whether it's EMDR or cognitive behavioral work or ICOMI. Or, so I'm always investing in my own personal development because I enjoy it, because I see the value of it, and I see who I was and who I'm becoming, and I love the arc. Okay, and I also mm-hmm. you know, practice practice my own spiritual, um, you know, process, which again has to do with being in nature. But also part of my spiritual um, process is to appreciate uh, the practices of other spiritual, you know, processes. Uh, um, Traveling to different countries and studying different spiritual and religious traditions, okay, sort of, there isn't a temple that I don't want to go pray in. Okay, because getting out in front of uh, how we imagine ourselves as spiritual beings, I just can't get enough. Okay, it's like, really? Yeah, maybe that's it. Hmm, no, no maybe that's it. Yeah. It's like, is it, is it the Catholics? Is it the Hindus? I don't know. I really like this culture over in Borneo. It's just, seriously, it's just like a candy to my soul, which, of course, is why I'm a depth psychologist. That's so, so great. Yeah. 
So those are the ways. So I wanted to go to your program you're offering called Feminosity. Um, and when I was digging around, learning more about you and saw that, I thought, oh, this is a timely moment to ask you to speak a little bit about that program you're offering. But then you mentioned the word erotica earlier in our conversation and that we're erotic beings. Um, and I know that you've studied with Mama Gina, and I just wanted you to talk a little bit about what that means to you and how you direct others. And then what feminosity is, what is the offering? Sure. So who we are as erotic beings is central to our person. When we study the archetype of the heroine, right, Um, which is a spiritually maturing woman who is using the events and experiences of her life as a springboard to awaken, okay, it's her erotic nature, okay, that allows her to flow through that journey, that journey of self-discovery. And what do I mean by the erotic nature? It's a heightened state of sensory arousal, okay, when which you are engaged in all of those ways, in an animate, phenomenal world, right? Where your sense of knowing comes through not only sight and sound and taste and touch, but there's a beautiful alchemy when those three things come together, where you recognize yourself as a spiritually maturing person living in three-dimensional time and space in a human body. Okay, so you're human and more than human. It's that encounter Okay, that we call rapture. Okay, it's that encounter that we call awe and wonder. Okay, so our sense, uh, our erotic nature, of course, is expressed who we are as sensual beings when our bodies physically have an orgasm or take pleasure from a lover's touch. But it's also the love we make as humans living a purposeful life, okay, in which your offering to the world moves the world forward. Okay, where every time you are disappointed or hurt in some way, you have the wherewithal okay, as an initiated woman okay, to use that opportunity to go deeper into your sense of self in response to the question, who am I now? Okay, and that free fall means that you have to bring your sense of turn on, right? your sense of being open and porous and receptive, okay, to the process that wants you to close down and turn away from your new potentiality because of the pain, right? So getting, getting now back to your question about, you know, feminosity, okay? So uh, uh, feminosity is basically my point of view, my take on the heroine's journey, Okay, there have been probably 40 or more books that have been written towards, you know, what is the heroine's journey? And Maureen Murdoch, who also attended Pacifica Graduate Institute way back in the day when I was also there, uh, wrote the first book on the heroine's journey. And at that time, Joseph Campbell was a visiting professor to Pacifica Graduate Institute and very much inspired all of us as students. And of course, Joseph Campbell was the first to sort of fashion that as a popular term in Western psychology because he wrote about the hero's journey. Okay, so the heroine's journey 
is the journey that a woman moves through five distinct phases phases to have a deep encounter with herself and to come out the other side with even more of herself than she was in possession of when she began her journey. But the journey requires the person to take an attitude that you're not a victim of a mean-spirited random act from a hostile universe. Okay, And by doing so, that you transform from victim to heroine. Okay, understanding that something much greater than you or your circumstances is afoot. It, it, instead, you recognize that you're on a quest for wholeness in the integration of conscious, the stuff that you're aware of, but mostly the unconscious aspects of your psyche okay, reveal themselves to you. And that every perceived loss real or imagined is an opportunity to dig deep and come back with even more of yourself. And the phases of the journey itself act as what's called a third space, a liminal space, okay, the internal temple space, where the transformation of the old ways, your old ways of thinking and being, can be replaced by new attitudes and understandings and energies that create a more whole self. Young called that that place, the transcendent function. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, so the journey basically challenges you to believe that emotional suffering has a purpose and that if it's captured and revealed, then its healing intention can be amplified. And it's your choice that makes that possible. So you come to understand that your symptoms, your suffering are actually messages from the unconscious and that something greater than you is seeking to come into being, which of course is the next best version of yourself. Now, when you take this attitude, it means that instead of turning away from painful symptoms by drinking too much or distracting yourself with busyness, you turn towards them with conscious curiosity and you elicit the help of a guide in the form of a trusted friend, a spiritual mentor, personal coach, you know, psychologist, or even just a support group, right, to help you interpret the messages. Okay, so that is the heart of the journey, the course of feminosity. Love it. Right? And so a woman basically, by the end of the journey, has has a deep encounter with what I call her inner quantum glow, okay, where Mm -hmm. she is no longer separated from, right, her point of origination, as a feminine being. Wow, that's so beautiful. Now, why do you think it's so prevalent that women are victims, mostly in their own thinking and in their self-reflection? But why is, I was thinking of your words, victim to heroine, which I think is such an inspiring idea. But I'm curious why we don't hear the word victim really very often in a masculine setting or with men, but we often hear it with women, often. Yeah, well, there's this social phenomenon called patriarchy that's been around for about 5,000 years. (laughs) So the woman being a victim to the patriarchy would be a historical reason that word was so prevalent. Well, If we just take a look at the Me Too campaign, right, where we are confronting what Susan Brown Miller called rape culture, 
That was her uh, breakout book back, I think it was in the 70s. Yeah. Okay, where we are in a culture that conspires, okay, to oppress the feminine. And one of the ways in which that oppression occurs is an environment in which women are not physically safe. The old statistic used to be, I'm not sure if it's still accurate, that every 15 seconds, somewhere in the world, a woman is raped. Mm. Okay. Now, that, uh. is, that is staggering. Like I can just feel that firing right through my nervous system. Mm. Okay. Now, we become so acclimated. We, can, we become so used to that, right, that we can actually sit down and watch like an episode of you know, SVU, and what is it following? It's following the unit inside the police, the law enforcement agency that's dealing with rape victims. Okay, so the storylines in that are storylines where we want the court system to defend and protect women. But notice where, where we've come with that. It's become so normalized and, and so accepted as a part of the condition of what it means to be human that we don't even question the fact that, we're, that it's now a part of our entertainment okay, to watch those rape stories on TV. So this is a part of how the culture indoctrinates both men and women into rape consciousness, okay? So that when we use the word victim, okay, that's how it's associated with women. And this is one example, is because women, by and large, are the, are the majority percentage of people being raped, okay? So that we have to question, and, and, and it has been questioned through all the waves of feminism across time. Okay, so that's one example of why that word comes up when we're talking about women and their safety on the street is that we are victims. Okay, now what women do, and this comes from, um, uh, um, I'm about to reference Andrea, Andrea Dworkin's work, which is a book mm-hmm. called Woman Hating, right? Very hard to read because it brings up and confronts us around the way in which as the victims of oppression, patriarchal oppression, we then interject that hatred that is learned outside of us. Now we, we, inter- we, we do it to ourselves, okay? We then adopt that attitude in the form of self-hatred. We hate our thoughts, we hate our bodies, Okay, we, we hate that we can't do something. Okay, so that is the number one cause of suffering in every single woman who seeks support services from me is her self-hatred. Okay. So a part of this Me Too campaign is not only dismantling the rape culture, the hatred of women outside of women, but it's also reckoning the self-hatred that we do to ourselves, where we become our own oppressors. And that takes time. And it takes demonstrations of what it means to stand for ourselves as worthwhile and to stand for our sisters as worthy and worthwhile. And in the very first module of Feminosity, I dedicate almost the entire module to this very topic of how to dismantle uh, self-hatred. Well, and I think as you're saying this, that's why I wanted you to really kind of take the word victim and and go deeper than the obvious, which would be the patriarchy and the ways that women have been dominated and mistreated and 
not respected. But there is a mentality, and, and it could very well be the cultural inheritance um, and the ways that we still have to observe such mistreatment of power and size and masculine versus feminine. But that victim mindset, even when you've been a victim, is not serving the whole self ultimately. No. And the self-hatred is certainly a gateway to that. But I believe there is hope in the story of reclaiming the heroine and realizing that even though you may be a victim, literally, you don't have to live as one. No, exactly. The other, um, uh, when I'm teaching the course, another uh, aspect of the course is to teach about uh, the heroine's twin sister okay, called mm-hmm. the wounded daughter. Okay. And I use the mythological tale of the handless maiden to personify her, okay, to imagine her and describe her, because we all have one. Essentially, she is that part of us who has been victimized. Okay? It, it ha- it's happening. Okay? These are very real issues. Women are victimized every day. Okay? And However, how we respond to that victimization is going to make or break whether we transform victim into survivor and then from survivor into thriver. Okay? And that is not to minimize or to deny the very reality of women's victimization. It means to use that as a springboard, okay, to get, uh, to, to reconcile and deal with the very real trauma, okay, both psychological and physical trauma, and to, uh, uh, in that healing, begin to use your voice as an agent of change, okay, both for yourself in your own personal development and reconciliation of whatever has happened to you, but then to also Use that as a voice to move the culture forward. And that's what we see happening with the Me Too campaign. See, we didn't have the internet back in the 60s when everybody was showing up at Take Back the Night rallies and naming their experiences. We had a podium with one microphone and thousands of women who are absolutely outraged, and men, at the conditions of of women's safety. Now we have the internet. The Take Back the Night rally just went online, into the virtual world. And it's called Me Too. So these things haven't just started. They're continuing to roll forward in time and become even more powerful and pervasive into popular consciousness. That's a good thing. With greater velocity. That's what's the beauty of the web. Yeah. And so I really love that. I want the listener to hear that again. From victim to survivor to thriver. Mm-hmm. That's that's an option to really know is out there. Even though if you're in the thick of the victim part, you sometimes don't feel that hope or information might be available, but it is. And so there is a place and it's called the web. And right now we're here with you giving you this information. So you realize that the survivor is right there rooting on the victim to keep going and to invite in the conversation that needs to happen with yourself so you can get into the mindset and find the tools to become the survivor. That's out there. That's a, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Hel- helps to know that. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, very much. You know, I was contacted by a number of people when the Me Too campaign started flashing through the Internet out of concern, right? Out of concern that people were going to, women, okay, were going to be uh, uh, re-traumatized, right? Because the stories were now being told. People, women were naming and claiming their experiences. Okay, there, yes, it's traumatic to hear of sexual violence. It is traumatic. Okay, but the response is, is to shore up your skills to repair after there's been injury, after there's been trauma. Okay, not to deny the existence of the story and not tell it for fear that there's going to be trauma to yourself or others, but to stand and name your experience as a restorative move to put yourself back together in the world. That's what's happening with the Me Too campaign. And you'll also notice that alongside those stories have been an outpouring of what what it means to repair, which is encouraging victims to come forward pointing victims to resources, okay, depending upon where they are in their healing journey, whether it's the first time telling of this, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, maybe that's a counselor or a coach or someone who needs to go to the rape crisis center, okay, or, or, you know, all the way along the gamut, okay, whether it's just, you know, shoring up your meditation practice because you've done 20 years of therapy on this, but it's very traumatic now to see the larger culture taking this on, okay, because you're, you're a perpetrator you know, didn't get out it. You know, your face is not on the cover of Tang magazine, but, you know, you've been in this journey for 20 years. It's also that level of re-traumatizing. Okay, so what, what peace psychology has taught us during the truth and reconciliation councils that were happening in, in Africa because of Mandela is that this is a necessary part of the healing, the truth and reconciliation. Because it's not like we're all going to go to different planets, perpetrators on one planet and victims on the other. We're in this together, whether we want to be or not. And we have to learn how to move forward now into a tone for our history. Which is a beautiful way to invite you to say a little bit about 2018. Talk about what you're feeling as you, as a leader and a guide, look into a few weeks from now, the new year. Mm. Well, you know, I'm like most of us, I'm humbled and troubled because change takes time and it's hot and it's messy. And sometimes it can feel like two steps forward and one step back because it is. Okay, so uh, I feel cautiously optimistic. Um, um, I think that's the most I can say. I feel cautiously optimistic. That's well said. And and mm-hmm. I think that one of the things the word um, cautious makes me feel is even more hungry for information. And I think the great upside to some of the caution is that it is bringing out the language of healing the language of outrage, the conversations are happening. They're active. And that for me becomes the optimism is that everyone's now coming out with dialogue and the guides, those of us who are in this world holding the space for other and guiding, we're, we're, everybody's having to come from a place of heightened 
alignment. And that becomes opportunity, even though it is not comfortable often to get to that. I really like those two words together. It's very well said. You are such a pleasure to talk to. Thank you so much for your time today. You are so welcome. I'm really happy to be a part of the conversation and contributing in whatever ways that I can for all of us. Well, and I want to let everyone know to get to you and to learn more about these offerings. Feminosity is only one of many that can be done through the web, um, whether you're internationally a listener from an international location or in the U.S. But Anne's name is spelled A-N-N-E. D-A-V-I-N, and so com is Anne with an E. Good to know. And what kind of social media do you do, Anne? What do you like? Well, I'm on Facebook, and that's primarily where you can find me. So I would go there, and of course, there's my list that you can get on through my website to receive my monthly blogs. And I also love this on your, I'm looking at your website right now, there's a wonderful icon that's teachings yes and i think that's a great part of your website to have little um great great inspirational tags and and phrases and links for more uh research for those on the path yes thanks for reminding me of that so you can you know get into the rss feed for that it's uh essentially everything that goes on on my facebook is also posted there on the teachings page And will you be having a spiritually revved up holiday? Do you go inward? Do you go outward? A little bit of both? I go inward. I definitely go inward. So my holidays are about stillness, experiencing that in myself and getting into spaces where I can experience that in the world, which means to be in the wilderness, to be on my skis, to be with um, close family members and friends. Yeah, that's going to be me too. And I was going to guess with you that it would be nature. (laughs) That would be that beautiful friend as you go through the holidays, holding you and you being with it. Mm -hmm. So enjoy your nature, Anne. Thank you for your beautiful wisdom today and your guidance. And a very happy and healthy, empowered new year to you. And you too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin. We'll be right back.